does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. And it's supposed to be kind of overcast this morning, but it looks pretty good right now. Jake, will you close the blinds for God's I just sake? asked. During the break, did I not, Kevin? Would you please have my back here? Yeah, I, you certainly did. I will say all of a sudden the sun has changed in the last 60 <laughs> you got, seconds. I, I said, and I quote, blinds, guys, because I sit closest to the blinds. For those that, that, that are not familiar with it, I sit the closest to the window here. And so during the break, because I am, if nothing else, the most thoughtful human being on the planet when it comes to the three on this program. And I said, blinds, what do you think? Yay or nay? Both of you said, I'm good. And then all of a sudden, one one cloud moved. It and was low blinding and be- Mark very quickly. Behold. So we have moved the blinds. Um, that seems to be yesterday kind of the microcosm of the Anthony Richardson performance, Kevin, correct in the fact that like one minute looked a little bit cloudy, next minute bright sun, a little bit of yin and yang in terms of just overall, right? Uh, I'd say much more cloudy than, than bright sun, and, and I don't want to absolve Gardner Minshew. Um, Minshew had his issues, too. And, and it was just the passing offense in general. And, and I try to use that phrase, Jake, passing offense for a reason. The pass catchers did not aid their quarterbacks either. Um, again, this is a spring minicamp practice. I want to emphasize that. In no way, shape, or form, I'm saying this is necessarily going to be a telltale sign for how the season unfolds. But I was there yesterday, so might as well tell you what I saw. Uh, It was, I would say, one of the worst passing offense days I've ever seen in an NFL practice. Um, Timing issues, separation issues, drops, errant throws. If you want to look at the numbers of it, it was bad. Minshew was 0 for 4. He got four starting reps. He was, again, the initial starter. Um, he was 0 for 4. Minshew, or excuse me, Minshew got the starting reps. Then Richardson uh, took first team reps later in practice. He was, uh, I think, 2 of 8, if I had that correct. So when your starter and your backup or your co starters at this point combine to go 2 of 12 in an NFL practice, that's not good. Um, again, you had drops. Moelle Cox had one. A couple of the second-team wideouts that are now getting first-team looks because you're injured at the receiver position right now with no Michael Pittman and no Josh Downs. Um, they had issues with it, and I just thought the Colts' defense feasted on both of those quarterbacks. Um, it looked like two new QBs throwing to a bunch of second-teamers, and it was, again, timing and separation and erratic throws and a little bit of everything. It, it, looked, like, it looked like last year's passing offense just – with the ball having more velocity than it did last year with Matt Ryan. Today is June 14th, right? It is, yep. We uh, said it was Flag Day, right? It is. I think that's right. Um, is Flag Day a federal holiday? I feel like it shows up on those calendars, doesn't it? Do, do we get mail today? Not that I'm like sitting by the mailbox for anything, but like our bank's open. Um, but know. my question for you, Kevin, is if today is June 14th... It doesn't look like it is. Federal and the Colts training camp begins early August, late July, early August. What is the – okay, let me back it up to say it this way. I have gone through multiple times in my life 
being between jobs, okay? I know that's stunning to people listening. And whenever people I know lose a job, which is awful, obviously, but I always ask them, what's your O-blank date? Meaning, what's the date in which if you have not yet found or have a serious lead on a job where then you start to say, oh, blank, like I'm in trouble now. You know, I've got to get something going here. For Shaquille Leonard's back injury and missing events on the field, what is the oh, blank date? I would say probably the first day of camp. Yeah, July 25th, 26th. Yeah, I think he needs to be out there. If he opens up camp on the physically unable to perform list, then... You are simply hopeful, wishful, uh, horseshoes fall out of your body if you think Shaquille Leonard is going to help the Colts out day one. Would it surprise you if he starts on the pup list? And I'm not asking you that like for inside information. I'm just saying like... I I assume he'll be out there day one. Again, that is an assumption. It it would not surprise me if he starts out on the pup list. Yeah, and again, that's just an assumption based off he had back surgery in what, last November? So what is that? November to late July is nine months? I mean, you would like to think in nine months he would be out there. I mean, last year he had back surgery in June and was out there in you know, late August. So And now that didn't go well, but we're talking two months compared to nine months. Um, so yeah, I think that's when things would be a little bit more of a major red flag from a Leonard standpoint. Uh, if you are looking for a couple positives yesterday, I thought a couple of day three draft picks stood out. Uh, Evan Hull, the running back out of Northwestern. You didn't have Jonathan Taylor. You didn't have even Zach Moss, the backup. Uh, we had Pat Fitzgerald on a few months ago, Northwestern head coach. He had some nice things to say about Hull. Uh, third running back, third down guy. I think he could potentially be that day one. And then Jalen Jones, a corner out of Texas A&M. You are desperate for corners right now. Jones, a seventh-round pick, a guy that is getting reps because the two corners drafted above him are both sidelined right now, along with Isaiah Rogers' absence, of course. Uh, He had a nice afternoon. So, ugly, ugly day, though, for the passing offense. We also heard from Anthony Richardson yesterday, first time he has met the media since earlier in the spring. Mark, you want to queue up uh, this kind of summer plans that Richardson talked about? Um, You know, this is the norm for a lot of teams in virtually the entire NFL, but I do think it matters even more to the Colts this offseason, given what I just said and given the newness to the quarterbacks and the receivers. Here was Anthony Richardson on the plan coming up here during summer break. You know, I'll be uh, getting with the receivers, you know, getting with Gardner, trying to get in the building here so I can you know, just constantly learn information and just build chemistry because the season's right around the corner. You know, it's coming up fast. So I was just trying to just get better, master my craft, get in the playbook a lot more, and get chemistry with the receivers a lot more as well. Jake, I know that is a clip that probably you hear from, you know, 30-some quarterbacks around the league this time of year about their plans between now and training camp when it is like a five- to six-week break. But, again, to me, it's paramount for them to do that because you have had so many key pass catchers missing this spring. I mean, yesterday, again, it looked like two new quarterbacks with a bunch of second-teamers around them. That's what yesterday looked like. Uh, whenever Michael Pittman gets back to health, whenever Josh Downs gets back to health, Jelani Woods, you know, even Alec Pierce, who was out there yesterday and was participating, but he's missed a couple of weeks. Uh, you need to try and get as much time as you can because this is a passing offense that does not have a lot of experience together, does not have a lot of general experience in the NFL, and yesterday it certainly showed. I, the other thing about him, there are certain quarterbacks, athletes, 
that say all the right things and you go, yeah, man, this guy's, this is all window dressing. I've had guys in my career that I've covered collegiately or professionally. You could tell right away. You're like, this guy is all talk. Sure. Richardson does not feel that way. Yeah, I, I don't have that I, it, worry. It does not feel that way. That that feels like a legitimate player saying, like I believe, like I think this guy now whether he can do it is we don't know, but he does seem like, and that's not me trying to carry the guy's water. I, I mean, but he does seem like a guy that legitimately has the right approach, and and going about things the, exactly the way that you would want him to at this point in his career. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with that, Jake. I mean, the day after the draft, I made the comparison. When I hear Anthony Richardson talk, I feel like I'm listening to Benedict Matherin. And I get that it's a bit of low-hanging fruit, considering my obsession with Matherin on that. But I feel like both of those guys are wired how you would want away from the floor, away from the field. And when you're talking about a quarterback in an NFL franchise – that is an absolutely vital characteristic, vital characteristic to having success because fame's going to grow, money's going to grow. I mean, Jim Irsay said it the day after Richardson was drafted. If Anthony Richardson is a high-level NFL quarterback, he'll sign contracts up to a billion dollars in his career. A billion. When you look at what quarterbacks yeah. are making right now and you continue to project that over the next Didn't he say this thing about years, Lux? Would it have gotten to a billion with Luck? I, th- I thought he did. I thought he had said with Luck that maybe not just on field, but like with endorsements and everything, he could be a billionaire. Yeah, I, I mean, it certainly would have been close. Um, and I just, I feel there are definite questions about Richardson on the field, without without a doubt. But from a, is it too big for him off the field? Will it be deer in headlights? Does he have the knowledge base to consume an NFL playbook? Is he going to be content with just getting to a Pro Bowl or winning one playoff game, I don't get those vibes. Now again, he's 21. Fame changes people. Commas on paychecks change people. Uh, you know, zeros, et cetera, et cetera. But I think he has got the mental makeup that you would like, and, and that is, it's part of it. And I would argue it's a big part of it. Where when you are an NFL quarterback, and I think from a spring period, more than what he does on the field right now. I think that's what you're trying to get a gauge of, and then obviously you'll see how that evolves throughout his NFL career. And again, the thing that I just want to continue to emphasize is we can overanalyze or overreact regularly between now and probably all the way through his rookie year. And Kevin, it's going to be topsy-turvy, like buckle in, right? Sure. I mean, there are going to be times where you're like, holy cow. They have Josh Allen, and then there's going to be times where you're like, well, they have Josh Rosen. When you just did the when is the drop-dead date for your concern on Shaquille Leonard, I first thought you were going to say when is your drop-dead date on concern for Richardson. Oh, I think it's got to be. And my answer was 2025. I was going to say two years from right now, right? You don't draft him without thinking we will take all the growing pains in 23, even maybe 24, and then once you get to year three or year four, that's when you start to get into some kind of concrete uh, takeaways, projecting him into that second contract, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Matt asks this, early to middle part of the summer and the majority of your top wideouts are already hurt. How are these guys already nursing injuries to a point they're missing valuable time with the new QBs? It's probably worth pointing out, Matt, if you have any sort of little ailment you're sitting Correct. and watching here in June, 
Um, again, it's disappointing. The O-line and D-line are very healthy. Those groups are extremely healthy right now. Wide receivers and tight ends um, banged up right now. Michael Pittman has never really bat- I would say over the last two years, he hasn't really battled injuries, so I'm not too worried about that. Josh Downs must have got hurt. I think it would have been rookie minicamp or maybe even early in OTAs because we did see him early on in that rookie minicamp. Um, but yeah, tight end-wise, Woods, you know his injury... Certainly happened in the spring, and then with Drew Ogletree, that is a torn ACL he's coming off of last year that he is still rehabbing. He had probably the worst play yesterday, Jake, of a drop of a beautiful ball of Anthony Richardson, but boy, Mo Cox needs to do something this year. Is something brewing elsewhere that might actually assist in exactly what Kevin just mentioned? It's one of the questions I'll pose to Stephen Holder, who joins us next. Kevin and Quarry, 93.5107.5 The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 8 o'clock hour in Indy. Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Of course, you know his work from ESPN.com talking about not only the Colts but the NFL. Stephen, I just mentioned this on the other side, so I will get right to it with this question for you. I did not realize... And I think it's probably pipe dream stuff because when you look at somebody who is an elite level talent that plays a position where the Colts probably have some need, you go, hmm, what is going on with Stephon Diggs in Buffalo? And is there any chance, and I know it sounds crazy, that the Colts monitor that situation and kind of start to take a look at it? I I did not realize that there was like some sort of trouble brewing in Buffalo what is your understanding of that situation well well you didn't realize it because there didn't seem to be any obvious reason for there to be trouble <laughs> I know that he was was upset at the end of the season I believe stemming from from his touches in the playoff game and and I get that uh, that's fine but I mean that was like six months ago, man. What, what are we doing? Uh, and it just doesn't sound great when Sean McDermott is asked about it and says, you know, are you concerned? And he says, yeah, I'm very concerned because <laughs> normally coaches try to try to downplay things and try to try to just, you know, iron them out and, at least publicly. And he kind of didn't do that based on that quote. I, maybe I'm making too much of it. But anyway, uh, it was, I was a little surprised as well. I, I don't know what he wants. He's, <laughs> He's going to make a ton of money the next few years. Uh, they they paid him a couple of years ago. He got his new contract, I think, in I think at the start of last season uh, or last off season. So I don't I don't know to, to answer your question what his deal really is. I need to dig further into it. So anyway, we're here to talk about the Colts. I, I think from their perspective, here's the thing: um, Do I think? Stephon Diggs is a really unique and elite player, of course. Uh, but if you're asking me the, the realities of the situation as it relates to the Colts, if it got to a point where Stephon Diggs was on the market, I don't know. I, I don't see it for the Colts. And, and it's just really a, a matter of two things. Number one, this, you know, the, the, the trades that Chris Ballard have, has made – I mean, he's made really one really aggressive trade. I, I would say the, the DeForest Buckner trade, that, that was a first-round pick. This, I don't know what it would take. It might take that or more. And then you're talking about salary commitment to at a position where he has never, Chris Ballard, has never really invested at the position. And I don't know if it's 
if it's solely philosophical or if it's just a product of who they've drafted. But I can just I can just go by track record, and it's just not there. I don't see him moving heaven and earth to get a wide receiver. I just don't. Now, I'm, I'm actually. I'm actually sitting here waiting patiently to see if they just, you know, do what they need to do to retain Michael Pittman. Okay. For, let alone take on a, a receiver who's going to make, you know, 20 plus million dollars a year. So we'll see. Yeah. I think better chance Bill Brooks puts on a Colts uniform again than Stefan Diggs ever plays for the Colts. <laughs> uh, in his... I don't think Brooks, I don't, I don't think Bill is looking to do that anytime soon. No, my conversation. But Bill looks good. We see him out there with us <laughs> watching, well, watching practice on a daily basis. Uh, speaking of that, let's go there next. Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com. And Stephen, I try to preface to the audience. It is day one of a spring yeah. mini camp. Like, uh, okay, let, let's, let's get that out of the way. Having said that, of the 10, 11, I guess it's probably now 12 years that I've covered the Colts in the couple periods of passing offense that we saw yesterday from Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson. And I should preface the passing offense in general because some of those guys did not do their quarterbacks a lot of favor. I thought it was one of the worst days that, I, that I've ever seen. It was rough, man. It was rough. Like I, I can't really think of a, um, you know, a moment that I take away and said, all right, that's something to build on. <laughs> there, there was that one screen they threw. And I remember saying to someone next to me, huh, maybe they figured out how to block a screen, but of course they're not tackling. So I don't really know that. When we're offering praise for the screen, that sums up what the day was like. Probably. It, it was bad. It, now here's, here is kind of a, um, uh, I think an important variable to mention uh, Shane Steichen was kind of chatting with us before practice, and he did mention they were going to do something different yesterday. And and I don't know if you caught this, Kevin, but he he said that they really didn't script the passing or excuse me the the team periods yesterday. What they did was it was just kind of a, a situation where they said, all right, we're going to just call it live and call the plays live, and so they weren't able to kind of you know, kind of go over the practice script ahead of time and, and orchestrate what they were going to do. That, I think, had something to do with it. And, and that is a real thing. That's, that's fair. I think that, that does have a lot to do with why practice oftentimes is so, is so fluid, right? Because they, they kind of script it and, and you know what's coming and, and you have some idea. You've already done it in walkthrough, too, in, in some cases. So you really... Um, have have had a dress rehearsal almost you know for practice before you actually practice so they didn't have that benefit yesterday and they really suffered i think for it now i still think it's a good thing though to kind of put them in that at adverse situation and and make them have to react as an offense they, they just didn't react very well steven when you look at the the bring along for lack of a better phrase of anthony richardson which do you anticipate will they throw like will they have him learn literally and work on every aspect of the offense that Shane Steichen has designed for him like right away and throw the kitchen sink in him has that taken place or do they bring him along kind of simplistically with the basics of running an offense and then add to it as he moves along I think it's the former and not the latter. You you give him the whole kitchen sink. And and I think if you if you envision him as your franchise quarterback, whether now or 
six months from now or a year from now, whatever it is. If you envision him as being that, then you've got to start that clock now and you've got to get him. You, you get, number one, you've got to find out what his, what his aptitude is and his ability to ascertain all that information and, and disseminate it in real time on the field. You have to know that. Uh, there's no point in, in kind of spoon-feeding him. If he doesn't get it, he doesn't get it. And then you kind of bring him along slow in terms of playing him. But in terms of feeding him the information, you go all in, I think, right away. And the Colts are doing that. I mean, they're not, they're not babying him. And the good thing is he wants it. I, I thought that he was – I thought he did a great job yesterday uh, communicating how he is approaching that part of the game. I'd I agree. give him a lot of credit. Yeah, he, he, he gets a lot of credit, I think, for, for being really self-aware. You know, the thing that I took away, I'm, I'm actually filing a story this morning trying to figure out, you know, what he said. You're always trying, you hear a press conference, and you're always trying to figure out, okay, well, what's the most important thing? And for me, my takeaway, and I'll articulate this better in an article, but my takeaway was here's a guy who is really renowned for, for his physical skills. His speed, his size, his athleticism. And yet he's like, hey, man, listen, that doesn't matter. I got to be, I got to, I got to master this thing above the neck. He gets it. And I thought Kenny Moore walking in to the facility recently. And, and the first thing he sees is, is Anthony Richardson studying his notes in the morning before meetings. That tells you a lot, man. And he, he is all in, in terms of pouring himself into the process and and that's something we didn't know about Anthony Richardson, I think, from from the pre-draft conversation. The pre-draft conversation was all about, well, he throws a lot of incompletions, and he's really fast, and he's big, and he's athletic. Look at that. We, we don't get into, I think, some of the more important aspects of playing the position in that pre-draft process. And, and that's the stuff you're seeing now from Anthony Richardson. Doesn't mean that it's guaranteed that he'll be successful, but... He's doing what it takes, at least, and I give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I think self-aware is a really good way to describe it in a very public setting, too. You know, some guys might not want to share that, and he's very open about that. I I get, like, a genuine curiosity, Stephen, of the why of the playbook. You know, he's really almost, like, pestering coaches of, like, okay, where am I at? And, like, let's get into the why. And I think times, and uh, rather understandably, People that have unbelievable physical characteristics in sports, they can get a bit complacent with yeah. relying on that. And, and I think for 21 years old, it is impressive to me how much he walked into the NFL. And credit to his team around him for, I think, instilling some of that. And obviously, innately, he has that. But I think he kind of craves the curiosity of the why and that hunger to get better. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, we all went to school once upon a time. And, you know, we took math. I, I hated math, okay? It was... I dreaded it. I took the minimum amount of math possible in my life, including college, which journalism is a great major if you hate math, by the way. So in math, you have these processes, right? And it's like, do this, the order of operations, do this, 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 and this, and that. I never once asked why, because I didn't give a damn, okay? I just wanted the answer. I don't care what it means. I'm never going to use this stuff in, in terms of an application in real life, at least not in my line of work for the most part. So I didn't care. But... You're right. Anthony Richardson is the guy who is like, okay, yeah, but, but why do we do this? And what does this mean? And, and what happens if this happens? And, and that's what he's doing. I mean, he's driving Shane Steichen and, and his coach is crazy and they probably love it. 
<laughs> it's, at least that's the way it sounds. I, I think you're exactly right that there is a natural curiosity and, and, and it is, it can be a challenge for an elite athlete to, to understand and to embrace that part of, of playing the game or any game. When you say I really it. think it can be. And, and he, for him to understand that and lean into that, like that I think is going to be a huge key to his success if he makes it. But when you bring up order of operations, I'm thinking back to uh, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Did you guys have that back in the day? I yeah, I've heard of this before. My teachers were were not up on that. Apparently, we didn't use it. Exponents. I just got over this. Jake, and you're bringing this it right back in. Come on. I mean, can you have oh, PTSD right. six weeks later? <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, weeks, what do you, wait, Kevin. What do you, what do you think? Jake got in math. Don't answer I, that. Jake, I, I have heard that, and I think Jake has been pretty honest. Thankful to the tutor. Is that correct, Jake? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, yes. a, a very impressive grade from him. Yeah, shout out to, to my daughter's math tutor. He's he's great, by the way. He I had gets to take a free rental classes. from Blockbuster, Stephen. I got, That's I think, a 94 in one and then like an 84 <laughs> in the other. So there you go. All right. All right. <laughs> it sucked every minute of it. We, we are a week into this Isaiah Rogers story. If anything, Stephen, what have we learned over the last mm-hmm. week that we didn't initially know? And what do you make of no cornerback move from the Colts as it looks like the offseason program will end without a cornerback move? Yeah, the one takeaway I've had is that, you know, we've we've asked, I think, quite a few players about the topic of gambling generally, and some of them we've asked specifically about Isaiah. And, you know, what no one has tried to do is to kind of downplay it or defend it or and even though they are allegations right the 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 investigation the results of the investigation have not been made public by the nfl let's be clear about that and nor have they come to a decision although I, i think you should keep your head on a swivel that might be coming pretty soon from what i hear anyway none of them have really tried to do a yeah but or well, you know, there hasn't been any of that, if you've noticed. And I think what that says to me is that they know, they, they understand, like, what you can and can't do. For all the talk about this is confusing or I don't really understand, the, the rule is vague. I don't think guys are saying that. I'm, I'm not getting that, you know? Or at least their reaction tells me they get it, you know? So... That's been a takeaway for me because there has been some ambiguity or expressed, I guess, from, for example, Detroit, where some of those players were saying they didn't know certain aspects of the gambling policy. I don't get that sense here. And and frankly, there's no excuse for it now because it's been in the news for two months straight. I mean, if you're not paying attention, then you're just willfully being ignorant of it, I think. So anyway, in terms of the... Colts not making a cornerback move. I, you know, I think it, it speaks to two things. Number one, they do, whether we agree or not, they do like some of their young talent. That, that is clear. You know, the, the Dallas flowers of the world that they keep talking about them. So we'll see. So they, that's one. And then secondly, the reality is that, you know, it's the middle of June and options are not plentiful. Now I think, We'll have to see what happens. And one possibility is if there if there are some veterans cut at the end of training camp, maybe I could see a pickup there. Really, just for for depth purposes, um, that's that would be a very likely waiver claim for the Colts. You know, come uh, come 
August. And, and their waiver priority, I guess, would be pretty good just based on their draft position. So they would have a very high waiver priority if you know how the waiver wire works, you know, to the listeners. So I, I think that's where uh, Chris Ballard has had some, some wins on the waiver wire, you know, before the season. They, they've had a few of those, Kenny Moore being one, for example. So, uh, you know, I, I think we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't expect anything big because there's not really big moves to be made. But but they have also taken some chances like this before at thin positions. You know, we've seen that on the offensive line the last couple of years at times. And, and some of those have come back to bite them. So, so they have to hope this isn't one of those situations. Steven, in terms of the Rodgers situation, you know, it's interesting to me. I got to thinking about this. Stephen Holder's our guest on the Payless Liggers Hotline. If, you know, I mean, we know the timeline now, right? Like a little over a week ago, the the kind of an obscure website like has a tweet saying yeah. the Colts are being advanced. And then Isaiah Rogers just comes out and posts something. Yeah. And I hate to say this and sound non-scrupulous, but there was part of me that was like, should he not have said anything? Because what's yeah. taking so long here? Where do things stand? Do you believe? Like, we'll wh- never what, what find are we? Out. I mean, what are we ultimately going to hear here? Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. That reaction was similar to mine. I, I got a heads up before he put out that statement uh, that he would that he would have something publicly to say. And while as a journalist, I was very happy for that because it gave it gave us. You always want the subject to have a say in, in these stories when there's allegations, right? So it gave us that, and I, I was happy for that reason, but I was also a little perplexed. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, <laughs> the, the first rule of, of an allegation is, you know, not that this is a court of law, but I mean, the first rule that any lawyer would tell you is shut up, right? Don't say anything. Uh, you know, he didn't get specific in, in what he said, but he there was the general takeaway was that, yeah, okay, I did something wrong and, and I'm going to learn from this. Okay. Well, they've either, they've either given him some indication of what's coming or, or he's just falling on the sword is what I took away from that, which is, I don't know, strange. So anyway, uh, how's this going to work? I, I, I think, I think he does. I think he did have some idea just based on our reporting and, and some of the things we've heard. I think I think some things have been established, it appears, by the NFL, even though I'm talking about them in, in allegation form and, and referencing them as allegations because the findings haven't been made public. But it does appear that, that there were some things established um, on the NFL's part to this investigation when this news came out. So I think Isaiah Rogers may know that. Now, I have heard. There may be some mitigating uh, pieces of information on his side. I don't know what they are. I, I can't speak to any specifics, right? I, I have no idea. But that's what I've heard, and I'm, I'm awaiting more information if it becomes uh, available. And you were saying earlier you, you think that could be available somewhat soon? That's what I've heard. I've heard yeah. that, that that could come in the very near future. So, so, I mean, it does, as I just said, I mean, it does appear that the NFL was pretty far along when this news came out, you know, just based on the, the very specific nature of, of some of the things that, that we were told, we were told some very specific things that we reported at ESPN. Uh, so those things were, had been established through this investigation, at least one would surmise. Right. So that tells me they're pretty far along. If you just kind of put the pieces together, that's the way it looks to me. So we'll see. And he, 
for what it's worth, Stephen, I guess we should point out, by all account, it appears as though this was, in fact, an isolated incident and that the team itself or organization was not under investigation, which led to Isaiah Rogers being singled out. But rather, it was, from everything it appears, an individual that was being investigated, correct? Yeah, it does. Everything indicates that. Now, maybe there's information we don't know, but but there's no indication that we're aware of that that there's other parties with the Colts, uh, you know, sort of under scrutiny here. I, I have not been, gotten any indication of that. So I don't anticipate this becoming like a Detroit Lions situation. I think they had four players officially suspended. There was allegedly or reportedly a fifth. I don't know where that stands. So I don't anticipate that being something that, that repeats itself here in Indianapolis with Isaiah Rogers' situation. I think it's just him. That's all we've heard, and, and that's all that I'm certainly aware of. Steven, last one for me, and appreciate the time here as we head into summer break. Um, let's go with three news items. A Jonathan Taylor extension, a Michael Pittman extension, and Shaquille Leonard participating in an NFL practice. Um, let's say day one of camp has just concluded. The likelihood that those three things have occurred, a Taylor extension, a Pittman extension, and Leonard participates in the first day of training camp. How would you rank the that those items and the likelihood of them happening come whatever it is, July twenty fifth, July twenty sixth? Hmm. Um, I think on the extensions, I I don't think either guy is extended by the start of training camp. I, I think that's well. Let's look at the recent history uh, of the the larger extensions they've done. They've all come sort of down to the wire toward the end of training camp. Not not the end of the not down to the wire, but they have all taken a several weeks into training camp before they've gotten done. I think you're, I'm talking about Leonard uh, with Quentin Nelson. That came the night before the season opener, which <laughs> you talk about last minute, uh, Braden Smith, you know, deals like that. So uh, the one that did happen around this time of year that I did not anticipate coming was Ryan Kelly a few years ago. Uh, they got that done. I, I believe maybe like the week after veteran mini camp, if I'm not mistaken. So that was that, that actually got done pretty quickly. Uh, I don't get the sense that these other deals are really far along just based on the bits and pieces we know. So I don't anticipate that. Uh, sorry for the long answer. Anyway, on, on Leonard. Wow. That is a tough one. I, I don't have, I don't know anymore. I really don't know. And I'm not, I'm not, this is not a negative answer. This is just, we don't have anything to go on. You know, we, we really don't know anything. And he's not going to talk to us this week. They've decided they're going to wait till the start of training camp because his status hasn't changed. I understand that from a PR standpoint. Uh, if there's not any news to report, then there's really no advantage to, to putting the player in front of a microphone. I, I get that. I don't love it, but I get it. So, Man, I, I don't. I can't sit here and and tell you that I expect him to be out there day one of training camp because what would I be basing that on, right? So I don't know. I'm not optimistic about any of those things, frankly. We await a punishment for Isaiah Rogers, or certainly more info on that front. Also, a training camp schedule, among other news items to watch out for. Day two Colts mini camp underway here, uh, just after noon. Steven, uh, I know you've been heartbroken over your Heat and your Panthers, so on an emotional Wednesday morning, we appreciate you making time. 
Yeah, I fought through the uh, the depression and, and got up mm-hmm. and got, did this for you guys. I love you so much. Yeah, a lot of Kleenexes <laughs> for Stephen Holder That's last right. night. Thanks, Stephen. See you guys. Honestly, I'd rather start U.S. Open with our next guest than go Saudi live action. Are you good with that? Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith. Mark, John Rahm? John Rahm's my pick. Jordan Spieth. Will Haskett, thoughts on that, on that trio right there. Cameron Smith, Jordan Spieth, John Rahm coming up for our predictions at LACC this week. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for going in this direction because at the end of the last segment, I was like, oh, this is going to get really dark here to begin the 9 <laughs> o'clock hour. So I, I do appreciate us talking about actual sports. You know, it's interesting because you have uh, – I would put Cameron Smith and Jordan Spieth kind of in the same bucket of type of player and John Rahm in a kind of in his own bucket because he's such a good all-around player. And choosing between those two is really difficult right now because I don't really think we know what to expect from this week. I mean, the players have just barely seen the golf course. Even their sort of intel is kind of... I guess asked a little bit or or sh- shrouded, I guess, by just a complete unknown. Um, I don't know if this is going to play like a typical U.S. Open venue. It's not built, set up, or in a location that is kind of typical to a U.S. Open style golf course. But as I said a couple times this week, the USGA is going to USGA. Uh, it's just what they do with this golf tournament. So. I don't know. I've got a lot of really smart, you know, peers and friends who are in the Cameron Smith, Jordan Spieth bucket of, listen, these greens are crazy. The rough is super thick. Just give me the most creative short game guys that can just scramble their way around this golf course. And I think it's a little bit easier of a driving golf course in terms of some, um, a little bit of, um, forgiveness off the tee, which is certainly going to help a player like Cameron Smith or Jordan Spieth kind of, although he's, straighten it out whereas like john rom's the the prototypical if you built a u.s open type player in a factory that's what it would look like so the answer to your question is i honestly don't know i, I really have I'm, I'm hoping that by noon today when i'm doing the midday show that i'll have an idea of what type of player i like but no one has a clue right now how this golf course is going to play yeah 12 to 3 today will haskett will be in here co-hosting the midday show to that point will i think it's why i'm so fascinated by this week i was fortunate to be at la country club for the walker cup in 2017 it is one of the cooler properties that i've ever been on um, obviously just the prime time aspect to it i mean you're gonna have par threes this week play as short as 90 yards and as long as yep. 290 yards it, like it is such a unique venue uh Golf Channel last night had Rory McIlroy kind of a one-on-one on the golf course, and Rory was like, I have no idea if the winning score is going to be four over yep. or like six or eight under. Like, I just yep. think there's so much unknown. You then throw in the fact of it's our nation's open, it's on Father's Day weekend, it's in prime time. I'm really looking forward to the week, and probably some of the, let's put live on the back burner, contributes to that. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have a lot of conversation right this week, um, you know, at the very front end about what's going on. Um, shout out to Jay Monahan, who had a medical condition yesterday, the commissioner of the PGA Tour. We don't have any details on that, but he's going to have to be out of the limelight, I think, for a little bit. So I think there's a lot of people that are certainly concerned about his well-being and, and just the stress and everything that has happened over the last couple of weeks. So we're going to obviously address a lot of those questions with golfers we haven't heard from in the last week. And then thankfully, I think, move to a golf tournament that has so many question marks and so many great opportunities to be unique that it hopefully like last Sunday at the Canadian open 
you know, gives us a reason to be distracted from all of the questions that are going to be unanswered that we have in the world of golf. But yeah, 75 years since Los Angeles had a U.S. Open, you know, to have this venue sort of be an outlier in the sort of the rota, I guess you would say, that the USGA is going to, and we're back to Pinehurst next year. I think you're going to see a lot of the Oakmonts and winged foots of the world sort of get into this, you know, every six, seven years we see them. And so to have a completely new venue from a U.S. Open standpoint, it was redone about, what, 10, 12 years ago. You know, the rolling terrain of it all, the primetime nature of it, it's going to feel different. But again, because we know it's going to feel different. I mean, it's the par 70 layout that's over 7,500 yards and there are five par threes. So, like, when you start to add all up in your head, like, it's a massively long golf course. But it's um, but it can play a little bit differently because the ball should chase. We don't anticipate a lot of you know rain out there in L.A. and with the wind blowing, it could be a really unique challenge. Will to bring in a live question, and I, I almost apologize for that because I know that you've got to be I'm sorry. Uh, you know it's the world we live in. Yeah, I mean, in part my naivete on this. Do we know yet? Like the live tour. How much longer does that go on before this is all one big happy family again? Or I, what exactly happens in that regard? It seems to me, and I will admit to the fact that I probably am far more of a helicopter observer on this, obviously, than you and certainly of Kevin. But it, it, from from that perspective, it seems to me like this announcement was made of like, hey, guess what? Like, we're all going to be one. And then there was never any follow up of exactly what or when that was defined. Or right. how that well, was defined. People, yeah, and the people inside of Live, including Greg Norman, who found out the same way that we all found out about it. I mean, he literally was blindsided with it the way that the rest of us were on CNBC last week. He's promised the rest of his staff and everything that Live is going to continue into 2024 and beyond. Now, is he saying that to save face? Is he saying that without any information? I don't know. It, it, it's just been such an odd... The merger in theory, and again, there's a lot of conjecture about whether it will legally be approved and all these things, but effectively it just shifts the money from the PIF being in support of live and the PIF then instead supporting the world tours of golf in this for-profit model that allows for them to be a little bit more, I guess, creative with the money that they bring in for top players. So if you just read the press release, and that's all we have. We don't have a ton of information, but if you just look at the press releases themselves, the idea is that Live, which is a subsidiary of PIF, it is owned, it is one of its, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's one of its, you know, pieces of of real estate, if you will, is falls under the umbrella of this new for-profit entity of which the current commissioner of the PGA Tour is CEO. So I just don't really understand you know, how it survives if that is truly the structure that happens. And there have been pl- there's plenty of rumors, and, I, and some of it I think a little bit more rooted in fact, of players that went to live that are like, look, we went here for the money. Everybody would have gone here for the money, but it's not as if we think that this is the best product or the best place for us to play. So I think if all of a sudden things were disbanded and these guys have filled their pockets with tons of cash and they're allowed to come back and play in a competitive structure that they're significantly more invested in and excited about that a lot of them would totally come running back. Um, But again, 2023 is going to play out the exact way that it was supposed to play out. We should have a PGA tour schedule here in the next couple of weeks. What that tells us about 2024, I don't know. 
but it just sort of depends on who you listen to. Like I, the way it was structured leads me to believe that Liv doesn't have a lot of life left, and if it does, it's going to look dramatically different. But if you listen to the loyalists, they're like, no, 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 we're fine. Like we're still going to have a 2024, and, and I just don't know. Like I just can't imagine that the PIF is really enamored with a product that isn't gaining traction, that isn't gaining TV ratings, and they're hemorrhaging $500 million a year or so in order to make it happen. Like, if this goes through, their investment is going to have significantly more ROI than what Liv was showing it to be. And at the end of the day, they're still about making money. Um, and th- so I think that's where they've kind of tethered their boat to at this point in time is the easiest place to get the biggest bang for their buck and their influence. So I'm going to ask you what I've asked Kevin, somewhat rhetorically, and I guess for you it would be rhetorically as well, but even though I want your your thought on it, because I don't know that any of us know this, but I've asked Kevin this a couple of times. In your opinion, Will Haskett, Piff started the Live Tour because A, they thought it would be a good way to spend some money and get some some revenue generated and return on investment to your point and then they saw you know what this just isn't getting the takeoff that we thought so let's save face or b they started the live tour basically as a shell game because they're like look we're gonna do something just to shake up the pga so the pga has no choice but to then allow us to pour our money into it that's a great question, and I really don't know which way I think about it. And again, I don't necessarily know if the PIF, it wasn't necessarily their, their idea. Like Greg Norman and a few other people have been floating this concept of an elite tour with team golf and all of these sort of elements and aspects to it. And it just so happened that PIF was like, well, this might be an opportunity for us to get into the game, to get into the sport, and to your sort of point B, to shake things up. But I don't really know. I mean, if you're, if you're true mission was to weaken the opposition or weaken the um the competition in the world space of golf they could have kept going i mean the pga tour has readily admitted that it wasn't a sustainable financial model for them so if you truly were cutthroat you could have probably bled the tour dry over the course of time and then all of the talking points last week were this is better for golf this is best for the game of golf or professional golf Let's not, you know, pretend that this is a great trickle down to all of the sport, but for elite men's professional golf, they came together because they said it's the best path forward. And I think a lot of that goes back to then the opinion that I would have that it's number A in your hypothetical, and that is they realized like we're not making money, our competitors not making money, we're effectively killing the entire concept of men's professional golf as a product. So let's put our heads together and figure out a pathway forward where everybody can be successful in this. And I guess I probably lean more to that because again, if it was really nefarious, if you really wanted to, you know, to slaughter your opponents, um, pardon the terrible pun there, um, then it probably would have played out. The long game was still in play for that. And that's why I think last week was so much a shock because I was under the, I thought we were going to be in this sort of weird limbo between the two for several years and just kind of have a staring contest. And I think most people were kind of resigned to that fact. And then last week just completely changed the game for us. Again, Will Haskett from PG Tour Radio. You've heard him uh, in on the midday show. He's going to be in again today, coming up from noon to 3. Um, he joins us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Will, if you could give true serum to any of the dignitaries involved in this, Yasser, Jay Monahan. Jimmy Dunn, who seems to be behind the scenes of the PG Tour and kind of orchestrating this, Greg Norman, Rory, wherever you want to go, 
Uh, who would you give it to, and what would you like to know? I give it to Phil just because I would like for Phil to finally just start talking like sense, like have some. Like, I mean, so this is me kind of he, avoiding. He has it. talked a lot of sense. C e n t s dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. This is this is me sort of avoiding an awkward question, I guess, for me in terms of some of those key players. But I think a person who was at who probably had as much market share and opportunity to influence in a positive way the world of golf prior to this whole scenario was Phil who has spewed a ton of lies in this situation and now is kind of on a weird victory tour of, like I told you, this is what was going to happen, which I don't really know. I mean, I would just, I would love to just hear him actually speak the truth about his life, his needs, his wants, what he thinks about professional golf. Cause I think so much of it has been um, complete hogwash to sort of save face and, and all of this. And he's a, I think he's a shell of himself in terms of his public um, legacy and, and all of that. So, yeah, I would more to sort of be like, man, I would love to have a positive influence, Phil Nicholson, in the world of golf for the next 20 years. I would love to inject him with some truth serum. Who do you think is running the show? Well, I mean, is it still the PGA Tour Policy Board, or do you view it as Yasser and the Public Invest- Investment Fund have the money, they're running it, and at some point they're going to pick and choose who they want on said policy board? It doesn't. I mean, as of right now, we're talking about two entities. Last week's announcement was the creation of a separate entity, and the PGA Tour still doing business as usual. Now, how that business model is funded from the for-profit entity and then what the say goes in, I don't know. But on the surface... If I'm taking everything that I heard that we heard last week at surface level as verbatim, then the tour came out in still great control of its own product. Um, and again, I think there's a lot to be sort of worked out about how a team component works into it, how they end up creating, you know, for profit sort of ways to funnel money to some of these key players. I and mean, keep in mind, Tiger and Rory created a a group and it's the name of it um, is escaping me right now, but they're going to have this sort of Monday simulator, right? Yeah. TGL. Yeah. The TGL thing. And so that was going to be a way the top players were going to make a ton of money because there's going to sort of be this, it's not going to be golf. It's going to be like, like you guys is outing you have coming up. I mean, it's going to be sort of simulator, um, you know, loud indoor venue, arena style kind of fun. That's going to be taking place. That is going to be totally different kind of a Monday night thing, I think after, you know, Monday night football and stuff is over with to sort of fill that gap for sports on Monday nights in, you know, late winter, early sort of spring. And that was going to be a way, and a lot of top players had signed up for it. So how does that sort of fit into everything? Like those are all these just amazing questions that we don't have answers to. And, And unfortunately last week just provided, I think, more questions certainly than answers. And we don't know when the next time is that we're going to get a little bit more clarity on what's moving forward. Most obscure U.S. Open champion in the 2000s? Um, Lucas Glover. I would say Lucas Glover. He is. He is. Michael Campbell was 05. Lucas Glover at Beth Page. I liked him because he didn't wear gloves. How about Webb Simpson? Oh, no. Webb Simpson's been a team. Yeah, he's been a top 10 player in the world. Lucas Glover's won like five, six times on tour. I mean, Michael Campbell was, I, I think he probably won a few times on the DP World Tour, but... I mean, once his U.S. Open exemption was up, I'm pretty sure Michael was, you know, out of high-end competitive golf for a little while. I mean, we all know the name, but 
for him to stare down that field. I mean, that was the Mike. I mean, Jason Gore was, I think, leading that U.S. Open. Like, what a strange U.S. Open leaderboard yeah, that ended up Tiger being. was right there. Yeah, Tiger was right there. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, Michael Campbell beat Tiger at Pinehurst, and Jason Gore, was, I think, shot like 80 in the final round. I mean, it's kind of crazy that there were two more journeymen in the sport that were as viable that weekend in a U.S. Open than Tiger Woods was. But you can sometimes get that in a U.S. Open because of the limited nature of the field for top players and all of the qualifiers and ways that guys get in. But I think we've seen such a growth in the top level, top tier player in the sport because of Tiger Woods. But now nearly 20 years after that, the likelihood of there being a long shot is so, so hard because we have, again, I'm not saying that we have 20 Tigers, but we have 20, maybe 12, 10 to 12 players that can play at a Tiger-like level. Whereas back then, we only had one or two players that could sort of flex like that. And it, statistically, probability-wise, it's just more likely that we have top winners now in big tournaments. How about Gary Woodland? Yeah, I mean, Gary. Gary's a great example of someone who probably... I mean, it's kind of early, has, right? ...hasn't gotten like the most out of just ridiculous potential and skill. But big no, Jayhawk fan, Jake. I know. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't put Gary in that category. It's definitely, yeah, Campbell or Glover. Probably I mean, Glover but, went I mean, to Clemson. He got a, a like great player. I think he was like twelfth or fifteenth in the world, right? He still has his tour at the time. I didn't he qualify. I felt like he qualified for that U.S. Open. I didn't think right. he was twelve or fifteenth in the world at the time. He did, but he would have been one of those guys in the second state. You know, I mean, he was sure. he had his tour card. You know, I mean, he's been on tour. I don't think without falling out for 20 years now or close to it so i mean this is not necessarily as fluky as a guy who made it through locals or something like that and then won it and then was completely off of either the european or the U- or the pga tour five years later when the exemption was up yeah certainly not a john daly cricket stick in 91 uh will we'll end with this and shout out to kelly ford for this idea jake and i debated a little bit earlier um your overall thoughts on in five years commissioner of the PJ Tour Tiger Woods? I don't know why you'd want that job. I mean, you can be as influential without having to deal with the day to day monotony of that job. Um, but is he though? I mean, he appeared to not be involved in this for what it's worth. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think that his opinion certainly matters. And he doesn't need to be in a nine to five job with all of the minutia that comes with that for him to still be able to flex a little bit of influence. And um, again, I think some of the top players have done a pretty good job over the last week of just expressing like, yes, we were shocked, but we need to gather all of the information and then formulate our opinion from there. And we have not heard from Tiger, um, but I'll be, I'll be, we'll be very curious when we do hear from Tiger about what he has to say about everything. But no, I mean, there's, there's no way with his life and, all the money that he's made and all the things that he wants to do that he would spend his time, you know, if it was an appointed, like a, an honorary type of position or more influence, but no, not, not with something that has the day-to-day responsibilities that that job has and the level of stress and all the relationships you have to have with all of the sponsors and all of the stakeholders. And you're sitting on boards of four or five other organizations in the world of golf. Like, no. There's no way Tiger Woods needs that in his life. You know, it's an interesting question. What does a re- what does a golfer do in retirement? Right? Golf. They play golf. Yeah, they play golf. I, you don't think that they just think like, okay, I'm tired of this. I, I mean, I guess I'm saying if if you were a golfer and you're like, I, I'm tired of playing golf. What what, what do you do? Let's go pickleball. Yeah, that's possible. Pickleball, by the way, my prediction on this: 
the 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 gym that I go to, I think I mentioned this the other day. They they got rid of the basketball courts to put in pickleball, which is cool. I get it. Pickleball's fun. I got nothing against it. But now they are putting back in potentially a basketball court in replacement of where the racquetball courts were because no one plays racquetball anymore. I'm like, that's funny. I remember when racquetball was the fastest growing sport in 1980, right? Man, live right, baby, right off of Benford. I remember the racquetball games were crazy over there back in the neighborhood. Yeah, and like no one plays it anymore. What an iconic spot there. (laughs) It is, yeah. Uh, Will, we'll be listening at noon to three today. You've got two and a half hours to get your pick in, all right? I got some ideas. We'll see if it comes true or not. Thanks, Will. See you guys.